All right, welcome back to our Sunday School Lessons, our series on Christianity 101. We've been going through the book of Judges and looking at uh, the children of Israel as they are going through their sin cycle, the uh, ups and downs of serving God and leaving God and being taken into captivity and Last week, we saw Gideon as he ordered his army. Uh, as he, God had pruned his army down from 32,000 to 300, and he had uh, prepared. Um, then God saw Gideon's heart, saw his fear, and took Gideon and his servant Fura down to the side of the camp, and they were able to hear the soldier tell the dream about the uh, cake of barley bread that came in and destroyed the tent. And um, he's, Gideon saw that uh, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the whole host of the enemy army was uh, very scared. And he was encouraged, was able to go back to his army of 300 men and, and uh, encourage them, strengthen them, and put them in order. Uh, today, we are going to see... We're going to see this battle. We're going to see the battle plan that uh, God has given to Gideon. And we're going to see God's provision through the battle. So to start off today, we're going to be in Judges chapter 7 and verse number 16. And the Bible reads, And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers, and he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, uh, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him uh, came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three, the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethshitta in Zerarath, <clears throat> and to the border of Abel-Meholah, unto Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to see your provision, to see your guiding hand, and to see your protection. Lord, I pray as we study this time in Gideon's life that we would see similar times in our own lives where we have been afraid, we've been anxious, and you have protected and guided. So God, please help us to see you, help us to see your truth, and help it to mold us and shape us into faithful men and women. Men and women that would be bright lights shining for you that would reflect your glory and your honor in all that we do. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So Gideon here lays out the battle plan. He's going to divide and conquer. He's gone down to the edge of the camp. He knows that the camp is afraid. He knows that everyone in the camp uh, is worried. They, they know, just as they knew in Jericho, that God has delivered them into the hand of Gideon. So Gideon is going to take his 300 men and he's going to divide them into three groups of 100. Each man was given a trumpet, a lamp, and a pitcher. Uh, not picture, but pitcher, like a uh, clay pot, That's something to carry water in. Uh, each group was to take a position on a different side of the camp, and they were also given instructions to light the lamps, put them inside the pitcher so the lamp couldn't be seen. Uh, the men were instructed then to do what they saw Gideon do, and only what they saw Gideon do. Uh, they were to wait and act only when he acted. When the time was right, Gideon would blow the trumpet, and all the rest would do the same. Then they were to shout, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So what, what can we learn from these things? Well, uh, what we see in all this is that as Gideon lays out the plan, he's very specific in saying, what you see me do, that do also. God wanted all 300 men to act as one. He didn't want uh, this group to do this and this group to do this and this group to do this. He wanted all 300 men to act as one. And if we compare that to the church today, we understand, as, as the Bible teaches, that uh, there are many members in the church. There are many members in the body. But we as Christians are supposed to act as one. We're supposed to act as the body of Christ. So even though we have different opinions and different ideas and different things, God has put one leader in charge, and we are supposed to be all going in the same direction with that one leader. Uh, if we can't be going in that same direction, then we need to not be there with that leader. And that's not to say that the people that are not there are wrong or the leader's wrong. That's not to say any of that. That's simply to say that if you can't follow that leader, then you don't need to be following that leader. So that's why we saw before when God had 32,000 men there with Gideon, God said, no, there are too many. And he gave them the tests. He said, you know, if you're afraid, go home. And 22,000 men left. They couldn't be going in the same direction with Gideon because their fear was keeping them from doing that. Then God said, take them down to the water and uh, whichever one drinks this way, put over here. And whichever one drinks this way, put over here. And God sent all those away, the, the 10,000 men that bow down and push their face into the water, God sent them away because they weren't prepared. They weren't faithful men. They weren't, um, what's the word that I used? They weren't competent men. They wouldn't have been able to do what Gideon wanted them to do, what Gideon needed them to do. There's no room here in Gideon's plan for free thinking. It's not that we can't have our own ideas. It's not that these men weren't afraid and some of them were probably questioning Gideon's sanity. But their willingness to follow Gideon's rules, to follow Gideon's commands, is what kept them going where they needed to go. Another thing we need to notice is we need to notice that there were no spears or no swords mentioned. When you read a little farther, we see as they break... 
the pitchers and reveal the lamps and they blow the trumpets that the lamps were in their left hand and the trumpets were in their right hand. Humans only have two hands. Another reason why evolution isn't true. Because if it was, by now I'd have a tail that would give me another hand or I'd have wings that would get me from place to place instead of having to rely on vehicles that are constantly broken down. Instead of having to risk my life climbing a ladder to get onto a roof, I, I would have been able to just fly up there. Evolution isn't true. Humans only have two hands, and if they only have two hands, they weren't carrying an offensive weapon if they had a trumpet in their right hand and a lamp in their left hand. They were not there to fight. This is something we have to remember. God didn't intend for those 300 men to fight. Remember, throughout all of this, God has said the reason that he pruned, the men were too many. They would vaunt themselves saying, I did this. Even these 300 men would have been able to say, well, I did this, I did this. We see this with David and Saul. As David comes back from war and they're singing that David is slain as is ten thousands and Saul is slayed as thousands and Saul gets jealous because David had done more than Saul had. God didn't want any of that to happen. These men were not supposed to fight. They were simply supposed to follow Gideon's instructions, do as he did, and God was going to provide. And when this happened, when they surrounded the camp, they broke the pitchers, they blew the trumpets, they shouted the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the camp was literally living their nightmare. Gideon had gone down, God had sent him down to the side of the camp, and he listened to the man recount the nightmare, the, the dream that he'd had of the, the cake of barley that had bounded into the tent, and it had destroyed the tent, and uh, the other soldier that translated the dream said, this is nothing save the sword of, the, of Gideon the son of Joash. Now, notice the difference there. Go back with me to verse number 15. And it was so when Gideon had heard, or sorry, not verse number 15, uh, verse number 14. Judges 7. Judges 7 and verse number 14. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. But then when you skip down to verse number 20, well, go back up to verse number 18, and Gideon says, When I blow with a trumpet... I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. And then in verse number 20, And the three companies blew the trumpets, and brake the pitchers, and held the lamps in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands, to blow with all, and they cried, The sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. Gideon wanted exactly what the Lord wanted. He wanted there to be no mistake that the Lord was doing this. God had put the fear of Gideon into the host. The dream had said Gideon was... Midian and all the host had been delivered into the hands of Gideon by God. Gideon was going to destroy them, but Gideon wanted to make certain that the Lord had credit, that the Lord was put first. So he commanded them to say the sword of the Lord 
end of Gideon. This whole attack was a psychological attack on these soldiers who were already afraid of what is coming. This is where we see people break down so often. The majority of the problems that we have in our lives, the majority of the problems that happen in the world are not physical problems. God tells us that we are not uh, battling against a physical foe. We are battling against spirits, principalities, powers. A spiritual foe. Most of the problems that happen in our lives happen in our head. Fear has its effect. As Gideon and his men surrounded the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, in the middle of the night, and on Gideon's command, they break the pitchers and blow the trumpets, shouting the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and immediately the soldiers in the camp are awakened out of sleep, and they realize they're surrounded. Now, what they, what they see is they see 300 lights. Now, I'm sure they weren't standing there counting each light, but they see large groups of light around them. And in their mind, they think if there's that many lights, there's multiple more soldiers. The light was the tip of the spear, was the, the point of the arrow. But also, they had been fretting and fearing... Gideon had heard them talking about this dream and that he wasn't that soldier wasn't the only one that was having this dream, wasn't the only one that was having this problem. They'd been fretting and fearing what was coming as they lay camp, lay in camp, waiting to go against the host of Israel. And now their fears were coming true. They no longer had the upper hand. They were surrounded. And they begin to fight. But they begin to fight anything that moves. And unfortunately for them, this was their own men. Their fellow soldiers. It's always interesting for me to study people and the way they react during high-stress situations. In previous jobs, I have been involved in some very, very stressful situations. Um, I remember when I first got on the fire department down in Creston, I think I had been there a week. And, um, <clears throat> no, I'd been there a little longer because I was working on my own with a part-time fireman <clears throat> overnight. And, anyway, we had gotten called out for a, uh, a house that was on fire. Uh, we were told on the way to the house that there was no electricity, there was no water, the people had just moved out that day. Um, and we came to find out that this was a landlord-tenant dispute and uh, the people had been evicted. They left unhappy. We were fairly certain that they had lit the house on fire after they left. Okay, so um, I, I, as the first uh, ranking person on scene, the first career firefighter on scene at about 3 in the morning, uh, get out of the truck. I make my, my evaluation of the house. I start on one side, walk all the way around the house, looking for smoke, looking for fire in the windows. Uh, trying to look for clues to how the house is laid out. I had never been to that house, but I had done a bunch of training on uh, things you look for. For example, um, if you go to the side of our house where the cars are parked, you see a small window that's got frosted glass. That's a bathroom. 
smaller windows on main floors or even upper floors are generally bathrooms. Um, larger windows like this are generally living rooms. Um, you know, you can kind of judge those kind of things by how the outside of the house looks. Now, granted, it's three in the morning. It's pitch black. I'm trying to do all of this by flashlight. I can't see any visible flame, but I can see smoke coming out around the roof all the way around the house. I make my report to the next uh, arriving crews, and they begin to get ready, and I begin to set up what I need to set up. And the fire chief arrives, and he takes command. And he tells myself, my uh, part-time fireman partner, uh, who had been there for many years, and the assistant fire chief to go in and try and find the fire and knock it down. So we make entry into a back door, which would have been kind of like this door over here, uh, again, over by the cars. It, it entered into a small room uh, that was like an entryway and then uh, into a kitchen. Um, what I missed is I was on the nozzle. Again, the house is full of smoke. I missed that directly in front of me was a, a basement door uh, going down and, and steps. And I had missed on the walk around on the way around the house the small basement windows because they had been covered over and painted. They'd been covered over with uh, foam board and painted black to match the foundation, and I missed that they were there. Um, so as we make entry, <clears throat> this is not by any means my first uh, interior attack on a fire, but this was one that I just I couldn't find the fire and, and, and I'm I'm crawling in and I've got you know the my part-time guy right behind me or the assistant chief is right behind me and the part-time guy's back of a few feet behind him helping me pull the hose in and and I'm getting hotter and hotter and hotter to the point where my my the back of my neck is just burning and my ears are burning and that's not normal when you're in this situation. Normally you get warm because it's on fire, but normally you've already found the seat of the fire by the time uh, you really start to feel physical pain. So I'm second guessing myself thinking, man, I, I don't, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And I start to back out and the assistant chief is pushing me, telling me to keep going. He's like, we got to go. We got to get it. We got to find it. And I said, there's something wrong. Something's off. I said, We're, there's, we've made a mistake. And uh, he got mad at me and sent me to the back of the line. It was, uh, you know, the teacher saying, no, you're, you're, you're not, you're doing wrong. Go, go stand in the back of the line. So he took the nozzle, the part-time fireman moved up behind him and I took the, the hose on the back. And I remember thinking in my head, am I really, am I a chicken? Am I really afraid? Or is something really wrong? And once we had shuffled, we made it just a couple more feet. Uh, the, the assistant chief had, was on his knees and he shuffled kind of two shuffles and he went to put his weight on his lead foot and it, his foot went through the floor. And he didn't go all the way down. He stopped with one foot through the floor, but uh, his foot went through the floor and we had to drag him back out of the hole. So we immediately backed up and that's when we got back out of the house. They had cleared some of the smoke out and we figured out there's a door going down into the basement. So they sent another team in and of course the fire had, was in the basement. They had uh, lit everything on fire in the basement and it was burning underneath us and I didn't realize it. Uh, that's why my knees were on fire. That's why, because we were above a very large fire. So when we get everything cleared out, uh, get it put out, 
the smoke's cleared out. We go in and kind of start investigating. And I get to the point where I had chickened out. And I look, and, and literally from me to Josiah, there's a hole about the size of a basketball on the floor. And then another uh, probably not quite halfway between me and Josiah, probably to the edge of this rug, about three feet, is a hole that is the size of this room where the floor had burned out. I had been afraid. Now, I had been afraid for good reason because my training had said I should have already been there. The fire chief, thinking I was just some rookie that didn't know what he was doing, or the assistant chief, had in his zealousness pushed too far and not listened. People interact or react differently when they're in high-stress situations. Some people freeze up. We had a, a man here in town um, when I was on the fire department here. We were doing a, a live fire exercise inside of a trailer. And uh, he got in and, and got into a place and just locked up. And we had to go in and get him and drag him out of the trailer. Um, it was a, a situation that was completely under control. The worst thing that was on fire was a small hay bale. Uh, they shut everything else off. There was no no danger to him, but it was to that point where he was so afraid he could not move. Some people, uh, like my assistant chief, when they begin to get afraid, when things begin to go wrong, they begin to get anxious, they go into overdrive. And they just start acting and doing whatever they can. And they try to do everything at once. And there are a few that remain calm. Now, this is where Midian is at this point. They have sat and stewed in this pot of fear. It's been boiling and bubbling for days. They've been afraid. And now they're surrounded in the middle of the night, and they all just begin to react. They fall back on their training. They're under attack. They're going to fight. Unfortunately, they're fighting each other. And... God, through all of this, has Gideon just keep the men still. Verse number 20. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their hands and the trumpet in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Verse number 21. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. We know that they didn't, they didn't have swords or spears in their hand. Those 300 men were not supposed to fight. But Gideon had said, whatever you see me do, do that exactly. And Gideon stood still. And every one of those 300 men followed orders exactly and stood still. And because of that, they were not harmed. They didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to fight. This fear, I mean, Brother Grant, um, when you went through boot camp, did they do live fire training? Yeah. Where you are literally uh, in a place that if you step in the wrong direction, you're in trouble. You're, you're, you're going to die. Why did they do that? Get you prepared. To see how you were going to react. Mm -hmm. 
to make sure that you you were one of those people that when when it went really bad, you were going to be able to remain calm and think and focus and do what you need to do. Do you know in our lives, this is why when we get saved, it's not all roses. Well, it's roses, but it's mostly stems and thorns. I mean, really. The life of a Christian, one of the, the ways that we've failed so many Christians as a, as a group, and I'm not saying us personally, I'm not saying anybody that I know personally, but one of the ways that we've failed as a group is we tell people that when they get saved, they'll never have to worry again. That's false. That's the farthest thing from the truth. When you get saved, not only do you now really begin to need to worry, you put a target on your back. You've now walked around with a massive target on your back looking for those fiery darts of the devil. But God allows that in our lives because He needs us to be in a place where we can calmly and logically react. So that when we go out and we knock on the door and the person opens, the the atheist opens the door and gets in your face and starts yelling and screaming and cussing at you, you don't react. So that when you're in another country, like China, and they find out that you're a Christian and you're holding service and they throw you in prison and set an execution date... You don't panic. This is the way Christ was. I, I was talking to a, a lady yesterday as I was uh, fixing some things on her roof. I've got still got tar over, all over my hands. Anyway, we she's a, a family member, an extended family member, and uh, she's saved, and we were talking about the church. She uh, knew that we were starting the church and some other things, and and uh, we were talking about a show that we've been watching. <clears throat> and I said, it's called The Chosen. And it's basically the life of Christ, but they're going through the book of John. It's, it's from the perspective of John the Beloved writing his gospel, and he's telling the story of Christ's time on earth. Um, while I don't agree with everything in it, it is a great picture. Uh, it's a great dramatization of what has happened in the life of Christ. But I told her, I said, I'm excited for the, the coming seasons because I want to see all these things that have happened. We, we just, uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, as we were ourselves going through the book of John. Um, we talked about where Peter walked on water with Christ. Where Christ came to them in the storm and he stepped out of the boat and, and uh, began to walk on the water and he sank and, and Christ was right there to, to pick him up because he, he lost his faith. And that was, that's the last episode that we've seen. That was the last episode of season three. And uh, we saw Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water in the middle of the storm and then begin to sink and got to see Christ reach down and, and pull him out. I said, but the thing that I'm most excited to see is the Passover night, or the, 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 the night before the Passover. The last, right after the Last Supper is, is Christ takes uh, Peter and, and I think it's James and John and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. And that, that large group comes to arrest him and 
as they're coming, he sees Judas, he sees the, the men with the, the torches, with the spears, with the swords, and, and they get to him and he says, Whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And with three words, I am he, he wipes them all out. They all fall down flat on their backs as if blown over by a great wind. And they get up, and in my mind, they get up very timidly. They dust themselves off, and he says, Now, whom seek ye? And in their fear, they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I have told you I am he. If it's me that you seek, leave these alone. In the middle of this large group of men coming to arrest him to take him to be crucified he knows what's going to happen he knows ahead of time he knew every man that was going to be in that group he knows that he's going to go and he's going to be spat upon and he's going to be whipped and he's going to have the the clothes put back on his bleeding and, and tortured back and then ripped back off ripping those wounds open again he knows that he's going to have that crown of thorns jammed into his head so it pierces his head. He knows that he's going to be nailed to that cross, that that spear is going to be stuck through his side. He knows all of this pain is coming. And in the middle of all of it, he remains calm. He provides for his disciples. And he is in complete control. Never miss that fact. When you go through and you read that, that, that section, when you read through everything that he went through, through the trial, to the, the, the scourging, to the cross, to him giving up the ghost, never miss the fact that he was in complete control every second of that. That is what we are supposed to reflect in our lives. Gideon's men did exactly what they were supposed to do. They didn't jump the gun. They didn't jump in and try and fight and get their piece of glory. They just simply sat. But another thing that we can learn from this is that Gideon didn't tell them everything. Gideon didn't lay out the whole plan. Just, just like... Uh, well, <clears throat> Joshua, in contrary, uh, didn't lay out, well, not in contrary, in contrast, not even in contrast. Joshua was given the whole plan for Jericho, but he didn't give that plan to everybody else. There's a reason for that. Imagine that knowing that when we leave here and we go down to the park, that when I get to this stop sign and begin to go through this stop sign, that somebody is going to run that intersection right there and going to T-bone me because they're running from the police and I'm going to be seriously injured and my passenger is going to be killed. Imagine that I knew ahead of time that that was going to happen today. Do you think I'd drive that way to go down to the park? Do you think I'd even go to the park? 
I wouldn't. But it could absolutely happen. Imagine if I had known that Melissa, if I had known when we started dating, when I was in high school, when I was a junior in high school, that my first wife, Melissa, was going to die on April 4th of 2012. And it was going to be me and three children. Imagine if I had, had known that going into it. Do you think that we would have even considered what was going to, that I would have even considered putting myself through all of that? That I would have considered putting these three children through all of that? Gideon didn't give them the whole plan. He just simply said, do what I do. God in his love and mercy has told us the end. He's told us that he's going to win, that Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire, that, that those that are saved are going to spend eternity with him in heaven. But he didn't tell us everything that's going to happen in our lives up to that point. He gave us the finish line so that we have something to shoot for. We have something to look forward to. We have something to keep us going. But he didn't tell us about all the hardship in between because we wouldn't want to go through it. God provided in such an amazing way for these 300 men. And we're going we're gonna to see when we get into chapter 8 just how many were in that army. Just how many of the host of Midian and, and Amalek and the children of the east, just how many died in this situation. But God made it so the obedient, so the obedient just had to follow along and God provided for them. They didn't have to fight. They simply stood their ground and God already, because God had already provided the answer. We saw it last week. God's told to Gideon, I have delivered the host into your hand. It was a foregone conclusion. God's given us the end. <coughs> he wins. We spend eternity in heaven. We just have to live our lives for Him now. 